This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader, no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about the essentials of a successful PR stunt. Now, I'll be honest, and I'm doing this episode at a duress because you know what I think of stunts. And if you don't, I always called them when I was working at P&G a five-letter, four-letter word, and everyone who worked with me knew it, to the point that if they were to come to me with a stunt, they would go, and um, we want to do this thing. <laughs> and so they wouldn't even use the word because I knew I would be like automatically no. But because I know they are a go-to mechanism for driving awareness and coverage for many, I figured it'd be irresponsible of me to not at least address how to do them right if you're going to do them. Yeah, and I would say from the agency side of things, too often people get caught up in the hype and we're guilty of this for sure. So what I don't like about stunts or what concerns me or where I see them go wrong, I guess, is when the strategy goes out the window Mm -hmm. or worse yet, there's no brief in the first place. And so it's just a stunt for the sake of a stunt, which is, I think, to Anne's point, the reason we are skeptical about this. And I mean, they just get so expensive so fast. They do. But just to be clear on what a stun is, it's something someone does that is over the top for the explicit purposes of getting attention in order to create massive conversation in a moment in time. They are intended to wow. Richard Branson is the king of stunts. But we would say... Contrary to some of the points we just made, it does work for him and his brand. So we'll get into why it does for him and not for others through the course of the episode. That's right. All right. So with that, let's jump into the essentials of a successful PR stunt. First, make sure it reflects your brand character. April. Always me. Always Mm -hmm. on the brand character. All right. So in order to get the best reaction from a stunt, it definitely has to reflect the true personality of the brand. But as I just said before, most briefs for stunts tend to focus too much on what will get the, get the biggest wow factor without any mention or very little mention mm-hmm. of how the brand plays a role in it. And this is why even the most impre- impressive stunts can fall flat. If a person is left questioning the authenticity of the brand within the stunt, the reactions tend to be ones of confusion at best or at the worst case, complete dismissal for trying too hard. But on the other hand, when stunts do reflect the character of the brand, it can lift the brand in the hearts and minds of consumers, which you hear us use that phrase all the time. And this is quite honestly why stunts work for Richard Branson's brand, Virgin. The entire brand is built on being audacious, bespoke, over the top. It's known for pushing the limits and then going way past the limits Mm -hmm. that are there. So, for example, when Richard Branson drives a tank through Times Square and pretends to blow up the Coca-Cola sign in launching Virgin Cola, it not only feels on brand, it would almost be off brand if they didn't do something like this. And then on the other side, we would say you have to be brave enough to go all in if you do decide that stunts are worth it with, again, your whole brand, not just whatever the over the top notion is. And that's what Richard is. He is unapologetically all in all the time, not only with stunts, but with any any decision he makes or anything he decides to go for it on. Now, with all that being said, Virgin Cola failed as a product, which means even a well-planned and executed stunt isn't a sure thing for the brand 
or the success of the brand, which then leads to the next point, which I believe is also mine. It is. I'll actually let you go there because I think they both kind of play hand in hand. So the second essential of a successful PR stunt is to focus on conversion. Yes. And so the the thing here is, all right, you decided to do the stunt, but it can't just be, again, a stunt for stunt's sake. So once you have the attention and the focus on you, what are you going to do with it? It is not do the stunt and then decide what that is. This has to be planned before the stunt and is usually fueled by a marketing plan with a specific call to action. So bigger picture thinking, overall strategy, Mm -hmm. positioning and reason for the stunt to happen outside of just the sensationalism. What do you want the consumers to do? How are you going to continue to engage them? Whatever it is, it must push them immediately down the path to whatever the key KPI is resulting from the stunt. Purchase is usually the most common, but it could be leads, views, foot traffic, whatever it is you want them to do next, and you need them to go and do something. Because a stunt is always a flash in the pan, and it's going to be short-lived even if it is amazing. So you have to take advantage of the opportunity of being the center of attention in that moment and make sure that your customers, consumers, viewers have some place to go that is then a landing spot to continue to reinforce the relationship or build the relationship with the brand. It allows you to continue the conversation. I mean, the biggest mistake brands make here is in thinking that they can put that splash out there and Mm -hmm. it's enough for consumers to want to go and engage with them afterward. And this is simply not true. You have to create that path for them and make it easy so that there's very clear signage, if we're continuing the the path metaphor here, that gives them an action that helps your business in a meaningful way. I mentioned KPIs. You need KPIs, especially since stunts by nature are very costly, like I said in the beginning. This is the only way you'll be able to tell if the ROI was worth it and whether you should, quite frankly, continue the use of stunts in the future. Also, make sure the KPIs are quantifiable. You don't want your stunt to just be subjectively judged by the powers that be, especially because... Stunts are only generally appealing to the group that they are intended for. So not everyone is going to have the reaction you want them to, only the target, if you do it in the right way. Yeah, and I'm glad we put those two points together because I think that basically tells a big part of the story yeah. and why I had so much angst over stunts to begin with. I'm going to get in a little bit more detail on that in the end of trenches question, so not to preempt myself too much. But what's generally missing when people do stunts is the whole intent of the brand character, right? It feels like people want to go do them because they're flashy, they're quick, they're easy. And it seems almost like it is a last-ditch effort in order to kind of get any news on the brand, especially if there's not a whole lot going on, right? Mm -hmm. What happens, though, is that a lot of people will like put all their effort into that stunt They'll do it, and then they'll get a reaction, and then they don't know what to go do with it, right? So a stunt, it should be the start of something. It's the start of whatever you want to come later. It gives you that big splash, or it can give you that big splash if you do it, right? It can give you that recognition. It can drive that awareness, but if you don't do anything with it, it's so short-lived that it's like in and out in an instant. And I say an instant, it could be as short as like a couple of hours. So if you haven't done the thinking in order to try to figure out how you're going to parlay your reaction into 
more brand awareness, more brand affinity, more brand engagement, and kind of pulling those people down the funnel, you're going to totally miss out on the opportunity that a stomp provides. And as April says, it is not enough just to say, oh, I can just go do this and just miraculously and automatically, all these people are going to come to me. You have to be very clear about what you want them to go do. It seems very like arbitrary and mundane and pedestrian to say, we would like you to come and like click on our website. Mm Mm-hmm. Fine, I get that, but you know, when you tell somebody that, they'll be like, oh, they want me to go click on their website. I can do that. I'd like to look up their website now. You know, it, it's just amazing that these simple like call to actions, these simple triggers will get people to actually take action, especially in the moment when they are celebrating whatever you have done. The longer you wait, the less chance you have to continue to group them back in. This happened a lot, and you know, and I'm going to categorize this, and we're going to go into some detail later, but a lot of Super Bowl ads are stunts. I know we talk about Super Bowl ads a lot, but in all essence, a lot of times that they are stunts. They're just tape stunts. They're they're <laughs> commercialized stunts, right? Yeah. But they're you know more, and sometimes they're more um, crowdsourced or they're more in the moment. But in they're intentionally developed stunts, right? We had one we called Tide Ad, right? It did really really well. The next day, nobody knew what to go do with it. <laughs> at that point because nobody had thought oh after Super Bowl is over if this does really well what do we want to go do with it right and so we tried to force something but then it became too late and then we weren't able to seize and we weren't able to um, to to really embrace the conversation that was happening as a result I mean people were just randomly going places and they had these these signs that said is this a tide ad like just randomly in all these places we had no way of being able to pull that together into a comprehensive marketing plan after the fact and we are PNG now I'm not just saying that to like say yes you know PNG is the epitome of all marketing and branding but we have a bunch of really smart marketers and branders and even at that point it was almost impossible to pull that together and leverage that flash in the pan that was tied ad in a meaningful way without having thought about it before. So I say all that to say, make sure you plan it. It's the only way you're going to get the ROI out of it that you want because it will be there and then it will be gone in a blink of an eye. Yeah. And I think however you have to position it in your mind and regardless of like Anne said, how mundane you think the call to action is, you will be providing buzz or goodwill or, you know, an experience that someone just had where they are going to be more inclined to interact with you further. So I think you have to think about it that way in your mind, that it is enhancing the brand experience by telling them to then go do something while that's present in their mind because they have positive or some kind of feeling about the brand. Right. And that's why they're going further. Yeah. And also keep in mind that once you do something, if you're going to do something again, it has to be bigger and better than what you did before. 100%. And that was always the case, too, with our Super Bowl ads. I mean, we did pretty good Super Bowl ads, but as soon as we did one, we're like, okay, this next one has to be Start bigger planning. and better. <laughs> this next one has to be bigger and better. That becomes a bar that can that you continue to have to meet until, you know, you decide that you're not going to strategically do that anymore or you fall flat on your face. So. Yep. <laughs> All right. The third essential of a successful PR stunt is make sure the stunt is intrinsically tied to the brand. So we just talked about brand character and making sure that your stunt is in the tone of your brand character. This is going one step further to making sure the stunt is specifically designed with your brand in mind. So stunts are meant to make a statement. 
You need to make sure your statement is more than, whoa, that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Which is what a lot of the reactions people go to. That's a very real KPI I heard a lot. Fine, yes, you want to say, whoa, it's cool, but sensationalism just for the sake of it, it doesn't do anything for your brand. You have to make sure that your brand is intrinsically tied so that when people are talking about the stunt, they're actually talking about your brand in that same sentence. All right, so we just mentioned Super Bowl ads. Again, we see that a lot. You, we, we can recollect the next day after seeing all these Super Bowl ads, it's like, oh, that one was super funny. That was super funny. What was that brand again? I can't remember what that brand is, right? Now, that is the same for stunts. All right, so I'm going to give you a, a scenario here, and April's going to play along with me on this one. So, <laughs> right, in 2016, Luke Aikens jumped out of a plane without a parachute or wingsuit to successfully land in a net in Simi Valley, California. So I bring that up. Most people would say, oh, yeah, I remember that. It was for April. Red Bull is what pe- people typically guess. Yes, that's what they typically guess, right? But actually, the Red Bull space jump was Felix Baumgartner, who jumped as part of the Red Bull Stratus project in 2012. So why do people so easily associate all these death-defying jumps with Red Bull? Not because they were the first, but because April... Red Bull gives you wings. <laughs> wow, you're such a willing participant. <laughs> I've just put a little bit on the spot here, just to be fair. But okay. Yeah, well, that's my favorite thing to do and sometimes in these things. But, I mean, April's right, right? So they're known for the extreme sports. They're known for you know, really being over the top. So breaking world records in an extreme way feels very, very consistent with the brand. Well, and one thing I will interrupt and say here is Rebel's been a brand that I've always, always admired to all the points we've made so far on this episode, whether we're talking stunts or brand consistency or whatever, but they always do lead from that place of the essence of Red Bull giving you wings. And so right. I think in this instance, right, they did the the stunt in 2012. They built that equity even further. So another one in 2016, you would automatically, I think, just associate with them. I think you're right. right. And so, and I mean, they have, they've, brought their tone to life in all different ways. But this is something that I think brands a lot of times think about whether they can own it within their category, which I would also argue is problematic, but they don't look outside of their category. So essentially, when brands are thinking about doing stunts, if they don't take the time to think a step further and look outside of their specific competitive set, I think that is also a misstep, especially when you're talking about equities that are just so strongly ingrained that if you can recall, right? If you're like, hey, we're going to do one of these stunts that is a death-defying jump or whatever, right? Does anybody else play in this space that might own it better than us? Right, right. I mean, that's a really, really good point because if somebody already owns that equity, you trying to borrow that equity is really a case for utter failure. And what's more here is that Red Bull does it up right, like you said. So the jump was live streamed. It had hundreds of millions of views, unprecedented social media coverage, and the video has since then been watched again a hundred million times moreover. And so somebody would say then, well, doesn't make you want to try Red Bull, right? That's the whole point of yeah. it. And you can see through the reports that they significantly raised sales. Some reports say seven to thirteen percent in the first six months following the event. And they gained awareness to launch into other markets. So the whole thing here, and I'm going to talk about this again in a second, is making sure everything fits together in order to make sure that your brand is intrinsically tied to the stunt. 
So then, if it wasn't Red Bull, who was this brand who did who, that Luke Cake and Jump for? Stride Gum. <laughs> 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 yes, um, that is that is true. Um, it was for Stride Gum. And if you go and you look and you Google this and you look at a lot of the coverage, it doesn't even link the two together, right? Because it's such a, like, I don't get it. Kind it wasn't of even like, a blip on the radar. Yeah. And yeah. so the, a lot of people wanted to talk to Luke and they wanted to talk about the jump and what he did because that was a Guinness World Record. I mean, so that was really important. He didn't talk about the gum. The also, PR didn't talk about this. the gum. I mean, he was wearing a jumpsuit that said stride on it, but it just was not intrinsically tied. And what's more here is that obviously, if I'm just kind of looking in, the message track didn't actually set themselves up for success in yeah. that because the why, why would stride gum do this was just not that clear. Now, in looking back on it, that, you know, they wanted to have some of this element of like fearlessness and you know this like you know how, how the coolness that you know in this in the in the swagger that comes with all that but can you really achieve that with the brand that you are trying to assign the stunt with to me that was not um conducive to being able to be a successive stunt and it didn't help you know that it wasn't easy to talk about it in the context of the stunt yeah, and I just feel like coming from working on CPG products for years and years and one of the agencies I worked at, we had the Wrigley Mars account. Gum was always one that I thought felt they could be bigger than they really were. So, I mean, we worked on, I don't three or four different brands. I can't even recall now, right? The amount of different brands we had and, and what the ask was. And we would do this intensive research to look at brand loyalty and all this craziness, right? And meanwhile, it's all their own brands. Yes, we were looking in context of the competitive space. But I just kept thinking to myself, at the end of the day, it's just gum, and how many gum brands are out there and how much differentiation can you push? So that was a struggle for me anyway, just categorically. But then to try and go do something to all of the cautions and caveats we have around doing stunts, it just didn't make any sense. Like, I can't even recall what stride gum looks like, let alone identify what their equity was, let alone think that they would go and do a death-defying stunt. It just gets further and further and further away from that essence, and then it just continues to break down. Yeah, and I think this is a really good example of, like, you can't go buy your equity either, <laughs> yeah. right? And that's what a lot of people try to do with stunts. It's like, well, you know, if I'm not a cool brand, I'm going to just do a stunt, and it'll make me a cool brand. Yes. It, it doesn't happen that way, guys. I mean, it really doesn't. You really have to live by the brand character you develop for your brand. And if you want to do a stunt, it needs to be intrinsically tied to that, like I've just said. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't make gum cool. I mean, we made laundry well, no. detergent cool, right? Yeah. It, we're not saying that, but you have to be true and honest to your brand, the category that was that, that it's in, and then be you know, honorable to the fact that other people may own those equities and whether or not you can actually do it better than them. Yeah, and in the context of the category you're in, how far is going to make sense in the minds of consumers for you to push? Well, That's all, my point. Yeah, exactly yeah. the point. And also, like, Red Bull... They actually like coined it the Red Bull Stratus Project. Yeah. Right. And so <laughs> yeah. anytime somebody's talking about the why that they were doing this, even if you know it wasn't uh, directly intuitive that Red Bull gives you wings at the moment, they're talking about the Red Bull Stratus Project. They just put their brand front and center in any kind of coverage they're going to get. With their name by, in it. <laughs> with their name in it, just by doing that. Yeah. So you have to really think holistically and you have to think very um 
continuously about how your message is going to travel. Well, and that's one other final point I'll say about this one. I mean, to the point of just wearing a jacket, right? When Red Bull does it, their name is everywhere. Their logo is everywhere. The the toolkits everywhere. The executions are always super consistent. Like you can't not recognize them versus putting someone in a jacket and already distracting by the situation and thinking consumers are going to notice. Yeah, absolutely. It was a jumpsuit, but okay. We get your point. But Okay, we're splitting hairs. All right. The fourth essential of a successful PR stunt is it needs to have drama. All right. Stunts are expected to be over the top, which implies there needs to be some level of drama, which is generally fueled by things like anticipation, unexpectedness, surprise, admiration, cleverness, something that makes people feel something that compels them to share and engage with the brand according to the call to action. Yep. Now, this doesn't mean they need to be overly dangerous or risky. In fact, you really need to weigh the risk very carefully. So many of the examples we have given you so far could have gone very, very badly, mm-hmm. <laughs> resulting in a significant downside for all parties. I can guarantee you if something would have happened to Luke, the, the big headline would have been stride gum associated with that disaster, right? Really so you don't point. always get the benefit of when yep. it goes well, but you almost always get the backlash if something doesn't go well, all right? So you need to consider how you're going to mitigate and manage the risk if something were to happen and also can your brand survive it, Yep. all right? So this is very, very important. Now, so you guys are probably asking, well, what are some examples of stunts that are less risky but still qualify as successful executed stunts? To pass the Anne and April test, in other words? Yeah, you know, and this one's <laughs> actually is, is kind of hard because like I agree. In, in, in general, stunts have some level of risk to them. That's the anticipation part. I'm like, are they going to do this? Is it going to happen? But there are ones that have been very elegantly constructed that actually do fit this bill. So I'll pull from my vault here first. So Head and Shoulders, um, they had Tri Palomalu from the Pittsburgh Steelers as a spokesperson forever. And because of that, they built a really fabulous uh, rapport with him that allowed them to do some really, really fun things. So one that they did um, was that they insured Troy Palomalo's hair for a million (laughs) dollars, which was, I thought, extremely clever. Again, it's one of those where you're like, can you really do that? Can that really happen? Mm -hmm. It creates conversation Mm -hmm. because people are asking, can that really happen? And yes, actually, it can. But it's so intrinsically tied to the brand, too, because obviously Head & Shoulders being a shampoo and conditioner Troy's hair needs to stay looking good or he can't be a spokesperson anymore for Head & Shoulders. It, it created like a natural conversation with it. So that I would say was a really, really good one. And I applaud them for that cleverness and associated with those that stunt. Another one, and this one maybe is a little bit, tad bit more dangerous, but it's the Jean-Claude Van Damme doing the splits between the two moving Volvo trucks. So did you ever see that one? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> now he is a stuntman by trade and training. So yep. that takes a little bit of the risk out, a little bit more, you know, less risk than Richard Branson just kind of randomly jumping out of a building when it like in high winds. So I will say this is kind of like, you know, the medium side, right? But um the the, the fantastic thing about that was that it demonstrated very clearly the suspensions on the trucks, mm-hmm. which was exactly what they were trying to give as a proof point was that they have these fabulous suspensions mm-hmm. and they're known for safety. So in theory he was safe. Quote, unquote. (laughs) Yeah. Quote, unquote. Right. (laughs) But now I can go really cheeky. um, And you guys are going to laugh at this one. But Taylor Swift and her latest boyfriend has become a stunt to some extent. 
right? It, it's you know, yeah. still in an element of like, is that really happening? Is that a, really a boyfriend? And, you know, and then she writes a song about it and they break up in a very miraculous way. It kind of keeps happening over and over and over again. But it is an element of a, of a stunt now, you know, Taylor wants to take it up with us. If these are real relationships, that's fine. We invite her to come and have a conversation. <laughs> um, but really, I mean, what it does is it keeps her in the public opinion. It, it kind of keeps people rooting for her to some extent. It keeps generating like uh, this, this inspiration for new music that people want to hear and they want to listen to. And, and so it's actually, in some extent, a little bit smart in the way that she's using her stunts to parlay her brand. Now, you can argue whether or not that's what she wants to be known for, but it kind of is, and it kind of is working for her. Yeah, and I took this a little bit of a of a different way. So I thought about it more in terms of leaving the question mark of how you interpret successful. So okay. what I mean by that is... So, for example, um, flash mobs were a thing for a while that I put in the oh, stunt yeah. category. That's definitely right. Stunt, yeah. They were they're popping up everywhere, and I think when they first came out, they were not risky, but they were cool, and they always got attention, right? Mm-hmm. But then I think that they fell off from a successfully executed perspective because so many people were doing them that then they weren't unique or ownable to the brand anymore. Right. So in the beginning, I think. Yeah, like disruptive in a cool way. I mean, really, what can you negatively take away? Could you apply it to lots of brands? Sure, right? Like depending on what you're doing in the in the flash mob perspective. But then I just think they lost their luster and stayed for too long. Yeah. And then another one. Um, it's like TikTok memes now. Yeah, exactly. And so another one that I still have a question mark in my head about is, so in 2014, Tinder used its dating platform to connect single people with dogs that were available for adoption. And so it was it was done right. It was, you know, done with the U.S. um, Animal Rescue Organization. And it it gave more of a feel good halo to the dating app at that point in time, which I think is surface level really great. However, I still think about that as but Tinder has always been known as the hookup. Right. Right. And so to the point of what is the broader, um, in that case, just world, (laughs) what do they think about the brand versus what are you trying to combat and how successful is it versus surface level? And so for me, I'm I'm kind of left asking the question of like, well, how many of those dogs were returned? So like just because they were adopted and in my head, it's a short term app. And, you know, there's this show on the radio, Second Date Update, and I feel like inevitably there's one every other day about people that meet on Tinder and one thinks the relationship's going to last and the other one's like, we met on Tinder, dude. What did you think? Yeah, right. Um, But, like, that's kind of the equity that's already built, right? And so I'm like, okay, I can appreciate if you were trying to get out from under something. But you have to also be real about what the situation is and, and what your brand perception is and trying to put on a stunt that fixes that for you. Like, even though it was held up as successful, I I don't necessarily buy that, I guess, is where I am. Well, I mean, I guess that goes back to the brand character again, right? Yeah. Does it live within the brand character? Yeah. And I don't feel and like it. And it doesn't feel like yeah. it does, you know, because then there would be obvious questions like, well, how many of those dogs just stayed or what they just, like, basically used for that moment in time? Yeah. Or for that person to get their hookup for the night. or I don't know. Yeah. It just went, like, so many... 
and it, it's held up as successful. Like, oh, X amount of dogs. And I, but I'm like, yeah, I don't know. But what? But you know, you can make stats for anything, right? It, yes, yeah, exactly. So I I would be curious to know how many of the dogs were returned and how many dogs actually found an owner that they could yeah, you know forever be forever home. owner. Yeah. Yep. So I agree with you on that. And I'll get on my soapbox one more time because I did give two examples of Guinness World Records that were effective stunts, even though one worked better for a brand than than the other. But just doing a Guinness World Record like thing is not necessarily a stunt, even though it becomes one of the favorite go-tos of a lot of agencies, right? It's like, well, if we can't think of anything else, let's just go look through what world record we want to break. Remember, if you're going to do this, it has to have that element of drama. If there's no drama, it really is nothing that's going to help to really bring your brand forward in a very meaningful way. Well, and what if you don't break the record and then also there's a distraction of the association with the Guinness Book of World Records? Well, that's probably even better news is we tried to and you failed. <laughs> Again, like people are looking for the negative side of it, I, not necessarily the positive side I'm with of everything, you. right? Yep. All right, so just to recap the essentials of a successful PR stunt, make sure it reflects your brand character. In order to get the best reaction from a stunt, it needs to reflect the true personality of the brand. Focus on conversion. Once you have attention, what are you going to do with it? This needs to be planned before the stunt and is usually fueled by a call to action. Third, make sure the stunt is intrinsically tied to the brand. Stunts are meant to make a statement. You need to make sure your statement is more than, whoa, that's cool. (laughs) This is especially the case if you want any brand recognition from the coverage. Finally, needs to have drama. Stunts are expected to be over the top, which implies there needs to be some level of drama, which is generally fueled by anticipation, unexpectedness, surprise, admiration, cleverness, something that makes people feel something that compels them to share and engage with the brand according to the call to action. Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. All right, our next segment is In the Trenches, where we give real-world examples specific to industries and situations, but with broad application so that you guys can all digest and put into action today. All right, the first In the Trenches question, I told you I'd go right there. Why don't you like stunts, Anne? Weren't you in PR? (laughs) (laughs) I get this all the time because it seems like it's an automatic assumption that if you're in PR, then you love them. You love them. Which is why I I associated with stunts with PR for a long time and then I didn't like PR. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. (laughs) So here's how I tend to answer this question. So, yes, I was in PR at P&G. For big, iconic brands, right? And when you have big, iconic brands, you need to be very, very careful on how you handle them. It takes decades to build an iconic brand. It actually only takes minutes to bring it all crashing down, like we've talked about. But that didn't stop our agencies from trying in Fabricare to actually sell us stunts. And really, there's only one brand that maybe could have pulled it off, and that's Gain, um, because they're the only one that had a character that was maybe in that realm of being able to do a stunt. But every time our agency tried, it just looked very, very forced, right? It just came off as looking like 
we were really trying way too hard. And like we said it before, that is an automatic opt-out for a lot of people when you look like you're trying way too hard. I say the closest one that we ever came to was like Tide sponsored a tomato battle as a torture test demo. So it was all these tomatoes and then they like threw them at everybody. And then we showed that we could get out the tomatoes from a shirt. Yeah, that was about as good as we could do um, at the time frame when we were doing this, what was called always on social media when that was really hot. And everybody had a newsroom. Yeah, I know a lot of my friends are <laughs> nodding their heads and having PTSD right now. And I guess I, I can say, too, for a fact that <laughs> there's always people famous for suggesting Guinness World Records, too. So that became a little bit of um, the vein of my existence, because really, when it came down to business schools, these brands didn't need flashes in the pan. <laughs> they needed more intentional brand love development. And a stunt doesn't do that on its own, right? Like I said, the, the stunt is the start of the journey. And so it just frustrated me that it like totally felt like a cop-out versus doing the hard work to figure out, okay, how do I make my brand, even though it is laundry detergent or a fabric care product, really intrinsically tied to the culture, to the zeitgeist of what is going on now without having to do something that looked like it was just like a cheap ploy for some PR, now, like I said, Head & Shoulders did it right. They developed this whole cachet with Troy, and they did a really good job with that. They actually uh, did another really fun one where they had him unveiled as a wax statue at Madame Tussauds. It was fabulous. I mean, it was <laughs> extremely lifelike. And then when they saw people's reactions to it, they actually started using the wax statue as a way to prank people. <laughs> it was brilliant. It, cre- it created a ton of news. It you know, it was like always like, is this the real Troy or not the real Troy? I mean, it was it was fabulously done. That is a way of being able to do stunts and kind of resurrecting stunts in a way that actually feels authentic to your brand. Well, and I think like to the point you made before, they were able to successfully one up the one that they did before. Yeah, they were so always they, constantly yeah. doing something that was actually, you know, that was clever, too. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. so, yes, I, I totally give them a ton of props for that. But I actually can really appreciate a well-conceived and executed stunt. Just like I can appreciate a well-conceived and executed F-bomb. I mean, it's <laughs> it's all strategically placed, right? I just find that most brands aren't willing to invest the time, money, and energy to go all in and, and, and actually do it in a way that actually brings it to life in a very, like, like over-the-top way. And then even if they do, they don't want to build a plan to leverage it. So then I'm like, well, what's the point? I'm like, why do we even do that? I like I said, I just get all cringy when I feel like it's just the knee jerk reaction to, well, we don't have any new news, so let's just do something to see if we can get some PR publicity. And so that's why I don't like stunts in the context of not following what we're saying right here. Yeah. And I think for me, just, you know, the ones that I really gravitate to are smart, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just that they're, they're brand focused. It's not just that they're you know, building that equity or any of that. It's that to the point you just said and like the inflection of your voice of like, oh, that was good too. That was good too. It comes with intrigue and surprise is the reaction, but it's where you can look at it and you can be like, yeah, that was smart. That was solid. That was a good reason to go do that. And I think that my PTSD associated with it was when to the points made in the beginning about jumping ship on strategy or not really thinking through, the wow, cool thing would overtake it. And to me, that's just yeah. lazy. It's like, well, then what are you tying that to? Right. And and when it's, like we said, if it's not tied to the brand in, in a way that really explains a why, 
the PR and the and the journalists will just push the brand aside. Yes. For whatever story they think is going to the get them the followers, get them the views, get them, you know, at that point in time, newspapers sold, you know, all of those sorts of things, right? So if you can't make a good case for why you own that stunt, you will be pushed aside in the in the hearts and minds of everybody. Yep. Yeah. All right. Aren't all PR campaigns some level of stunts? <laughs> like I just made the comment before. <laughs> now, okay, so we can argue semantics. So some would say leveraging talent is stunning, like I just talked about Troy Palomalu. And it can be the talent and what you have them doing isn't on brand. It can feel very stunty in a bad way, right? Now, how I differentiate is in the level long- of longevity and the OTT is what we call but over-the-topness, right? So if it's like a firework where it goes boom and there's a bunch of pretty colors and shapes and everybody goes ooh and then it's over, it's a stunt, right? If it's like a disco ball, which can have many pretty colors that steadily shine for a longer period of time where people can dance and dance, it's a marketing campaign, right? So that's <laughs> kind of metaphors. Well, I think that helps kind of like, would you disagree? No, I mean, I actually chuckled and said to myself, and in her metaphors. When I, I know, I love a good metaphor, you know me. <laughs> Um, But admittedly, there is actually a very fine line. So I'm going to give you an example. So Cheetos did a contest to submit crazy shapes you see in your Cheetos for a chance to win. I can't remember. It was like some money or something to that effect. Because that was like something that was really going on in the culture when people were actually like photographing their Cheetos and they looked like certain things. And Mm -hmm. that become a very popular thing. So some could call this a publicity stunt because it is like a contest and it was like in that moment, right? But I would actually call it a marketing campaign because one, it's not really over the top. Like it's it's taken advantage of culture in a smart way, in a clever way, but there's really no drama associated with it. And there's nothing that says that you can't continue that story on like a disco ball Mm -hmm. and dance to it for a long time. You could continue to resurrect it and it like continues then to live on and it it gets old eventually, but it's not like a firework where it's like, boom, I can only do that once and it's done. Well, and I would say, again, to my point before, it's smart. It's smart. It's definitely smart, but it is more of a marketing campaign. Yeah. Right? Yep. Um, it's also not as expensive as, you know, even though you're doing a contest, you're still saying money with it. It's generally not as expensive. Drop in the bucket compared yeah. to what you would spend. Yeah. Not that every stunt has to be very expensive. They just tend to be. Now, Dove Real Beauty is also sometimes referred to as a stunt. Um, and if it had stopped at the original commercial, which if you guys recall and you kind of really Google back of how a woman describes herself and, and they were describing themselves in a person who was actually a sketch artist was sketching how they described themselves and then how he, he would sketch how somebody else described them mm-hmm. and you could see the two differences. That is definitely a stunt in a way that was like, you know, mm-hmm. where it definitely took your breath away. It gave you some sort of realization, some appreciation, and there was definitely drama associated with that. But they then parlayed it into a marketing campaign. So it was almost like there was an anticipation of like, oh, shit, this worked. Okay, so let's put the, you know, our marketing campaign in place then that allows us to leverage this insight and make it ours. Other people have tried and miserably failed. Dove has exclusively owned this women of beauty thing. Like it's, it's definitely featuring multiple different women, skin tones, sizes, all of that. They've owned that in a way that's been truly tied to them but done in such a tasteful way Mm -hmm. um that it's been allowed to and people appreciate it you know it's been allowed to live for so long you know and so that was you know thought through as like okay if this wins how am i gonna have a marketing campaign to continue to parlay this 
again, really, really smart and, and done in a way that is authentic to the product, authentic to the brand, and fits all of this, but started with a stunt. So like I said, the stunt is the beginning of the journey. Well, and the credit that I always gave them here is... Dove is a brand that I think before this happened was pretty sleepy and didn't have a super strong mm-hmm. positioning. And so the fact that they were able to reposition themselves in a highly, highly relevant way and get in front of executing something that was a huge topic of the time of like the airbrushing and the you know models and whatever versus what does it really look like? I mean, that was huge. Like before that- and very risky, actually. Very risky. Like yeah. before, like the fact that they were able to do that and then own it, I think, to your point, beyond being just a flash in the pan of doing something that was super compelling, but then you might forget the brand, they continued it really well. And I think, you know, if you think about, and for me, it was like Dove soap growing up was in like my grandma's shower, right? Mm-hmm. It was a soap bar with a little Dove carved in. And to think about where this started and, and where it's come, I just have a ton of respect for it. Yeah, me too. So. agree. All right, my brand managers love stunts, but they aren't doing much to build the brand. How do I get them to consider something different? April, what are your thoughts here? In all transparency, we've gotten this question the other way around, too, from the agency standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, agency, please stop bringing me stunts. So <laughs> I'll just go ahead and, and preempt that here. Um, so... First of all, use the four points we outlined as design criteria. It helps set the expectation for what it takes to have that successful stunt. If they balk on either side again, then have the conversation of what must be true to deliver the stunt in a successful way through the lens of the brand and what it's going to mean for the brand. You can also have someone else say no for you that outranks that person or that team and can't be argued with. A lot of times, you know, legal can be thrown in the mix for this. They're used to beating the bad guy and they don't care. See if you can get out ahead of it with an informed marketing strategy. So to the point we made before, making sure that it's fully integrated and that sets up the next six to 12 months. So once the stunt happens into the the conversation we just had about Dove, right? If it lands, what are you going to go and do with it to capitalize on the fact that it did? Here's the trick. You need to probably include at least one stunt that you can live with. We've given you a range of what that can look like, how risky it can be, what's classified as a stunt. So think about what those parameters, limitations, uh, allowances are for you and get let that be their gimme, right? Don't expect them to go cold turkey, but this is the opportunity to influence what the stunt looks like. And then, again, how it connects to the broader marketing plan through the lens, again, of your brand and making sure that it's relevant and achievable by your brand. Yeah, I think those are all really good points. And the other way I've heard it as well is the PR person really loves to do stunts, but the brand managers can't don't like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Fair. So like yeah. trying to get them to come on board. And like I said, there is a time and place for a very well-conceived stunt. But I think here the point is, is that you have to, and I like the last point you, you made, is you have to make them part of the marketing plan. Yeah. Integrate them in. Do not expect to try to tell them all the different reasons why you're not going to do it and how you refuse to do it. If you're going to put up that wall, they're going to very quickly see you as a barrier to doing good work. And that becomes a personal integrity and credibility issue. You may have to just work with them and figure out how to do it in a way that's going to be conducive to building the brand. And if it's the start of something, how you're going to then take that and parlay it into something that you feel is going to be even a stronger method of building the brand. So 
think about it holistically. Don't try to be the wall. If you feel like it's like way too risky, then I do totally, as I said, support like bringing somebody else in to say no. You don't always have to be the bad guy. That was one of the big things I learned because a lot of times PR folks can seem like the bad guy because they're always constantly weighing the risk versus the brand. And frankly, a lot of the times um, brand managers use the PR people to say no. Yeah. Right. So. Well, and I think the point, right, this isn't in the trenches question. So regardless of who is the <laughs> the bad guy or the one that you don't want to do the stunts anymore in the situation, this holds them accountable to a strategy that's broader than them and also gives you assistance in combating it, right? Because you can yeah. poke holes when you say, no, that doesn't make sense because of X, Y, and Z versus I don't like stunts. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You could try to have a rational conversation. Try. Try. All right. Our fourth in the trenches question. When is the best time to do a stunt? April. All right, so product launches are the most obvious answer. This is Richard Branson's MO. If they're done in accordance with what we describe here, then stunts can be a successful way of breaking through, getting instant attention, especially if this is a challenger brand. That can be a really good yeah. place. I mean, Richard's notorious for that, too. He knows what he's doing when it comes to stunts. But as we mentioned, you have to be ready with a marketing plan that parlays the stunt into conversion from there. So just always remember that point. We've hit it a million times in this episode because it really is just that important. Another one is if you're introducing a new brand element. So positioning, logo, tagline brand story, talent. These are the more in-the-moment events where you want to make a big splash. And honestly, Dove Real Beauty is an example of this. Like I said, they had become mm -hmm. a fairly sleepy brand, kind of lost their identity. In my mind, the population or the consumer was aging out. So what were they going to become? And even when they brought in additional products, I have to say, it still lived as the bar soap in my head, right? So I wasn't the target, whereas now Dove rotates through our house regularly. To generate new news is another. Again, this can get dangerous if you don't do it right because it can come off as clickbait, a cheap way of getting publicity, inauthentic, especially if it's not related to your brand. All those impressions that can damage your brand. And Anne made the point early on that building equity is a hard thing to do and an easy thing to break. And stunts are one of the ways that happens. So make sure the why is very clear and connected to your message track if you want to use a stunt to generate the new news. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> definitely do not do a stunt just because you want the brand to go viral. We've talked about this before. <laughs> That's a ridiculous statement. We've seen too many people, too many brands, too many products make really poor decisions and spend way too much money, waste their time, and then do irreparable damage. <laughs> Going viral is not a KPI. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Or something that you can just make happen, no matter how smart or strategic or whatever you are. That's why we highly suggest you design your marketing and PR strategy around what is best for the brand. If it's a stunt, great. Just make sure it has a clear role to play within your marketing strategy, in that bigger picture, with other things supporting it, and through the lens of the brand. Yeah, I think that's a, a really great way to sum up this whole entire episode because it does put a little bit of uh, you said uh, you said the word I'll use the word again like responsibility and accountability mm -hmm. for where this actually fits into a marketing plan mm -hmm. and then it's some responsibility accountability for making it work in the way that it's intended to so these are specific reasons for doing one that actually lend itself to specific kpis that are to be delivered so i think that was a great way of summing that all up thank you yeah 
All right, and our third and final segment is a real example of a business or a person we've experienced recently using or not using their marketing smarts. So we call this marketing smarts moments. And so it's my turn for this one. So <laughs> my marketing smarts moment is Orange Theory and specifically the use of iconography. All right. So the fitness world is an utter like shit show. All right. So there's new workouts popping up and leaving every day. There's all kinds of, you know, one minute something's in grace and then it falls from grace like Peloton. I mean, it, it, it just you just <laughs> never know what like what's the latest and greatest of the day. Right. But one that has had some staying power, which I'm surprised a bit by, is Orange Theory. And it hit me the other day as I was parked in front of one why this was. And really the truth was in their iconography, which is actually on the windows, all right? So the icons were a tremel. And then there was a second one when I first looked at it, it looked like a little hut. <laughs> <laughs> but then after looking, I deciphered it as a bench with a BOSU ball on it and a dumbbell right beside it. But it looked like a little hut. That sounds like a little bit of a problem if you can't decipher it at first. It was a little bit. So maybe but, some optimization there. Because I love BOSU ball. Like it's it's a thing for me. I, I got I kind of got it. And but then, all right, so I digress a little bit. And then the third one was a bike. And so my theory as to why Orange Theory has had the staying power is because it's so based on fundamentals that people understand. Mm-hmm. Running. It's weightlifting. It's biking. All right. So there is now a secret sauce on how they put them all together. And then they also layer that in with the competition piece of it, which I think is actually very smart. So you're not like moving too far away from basic fundamentals people people understand, but you're putting them in a different order or you're kind of creating a new vibe around it that people like, hey, this is a different way for me to run or this is a different way for me to bike. And you kind of create a little bit of atmosphere there. Now, I will admit that I never gone to a class because even though I like circuit training, like circuit cardio training and the way that they do it is just not a workout that I was inclined to try. And I'm not really into like the competition thing motivating me, but I can definitely appreciate how it appeals to a certain group of people. So, So now the lesson here is that sometimes it's about reimagining, not reinventing, okay? <laughs> so I I, I, I want to stress this one, and I hope everybody can internalize this, because here, like, especially when the world of fitness, the familiarity piece here is key. So it helps with the trial barrier of the intimidation factors, like, okay, I know how to run, I know how to bike, I know how to weight lift. Okay, it doesn't seem all that scary to kind of try and put in all things together. And the icons are actually a really great way of simply conveying that idea that can actually be carried through all of the marketing channels. Yeah, so I'm always the brand police, right? And so I think, yes, all of that is exactly right. And I think that... You know, we talked about, not that this is an example really related to stunts at all, but because of the conversation we just had, we talked about the idea of one-upping the previous one, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think that part of the reason that the fitness category has become such an utter disaster is because everyone's always trying to create something brand new, right? Yeah, do you you still do Zumba? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or or like, um, what were those videos? Oh, man, I can't remember. My dad did them. P90X. 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 Yeah. Right. So there's always a flash in the pan next thing. And I think what happens is that, okay, there are certain people that are always looking for the flash in the pan. What's the next thing I'm going to try? Right. But they always peter out. Right. And so unless you're the next thing and you realize you're only going to be there for a period of time, that's not a very good business or brand model. Right. But I think here... That actually at the brand level, Orange Theory, while it's not a natural connection, 
It is because the name is simple, but then they built the infrastructure underneath it that supports mm-hmm. the simplicity of the brand. And the brand gets credit for differentiation and everything from the orange color, the fact that it's a real word, mm-hmm. the fact that it doesn't have fitness in the name, right? But I think the reason it works is because of all the things you pointed out. It's orange theory in theory pun intended, it has nothing to do with the fitness space, but because all the things below it ladder up to the simplicity of it, to me, there is inherently a simplicity factor in that brand. Like Orange Theory, again, Again, real world, real word, doesn't say fitness in it, doesn't overcomplicate it. And you're kind of intrigued, right? Differentiator, color-wise. There's something about like, well, what is your theory? Yeah, what is your theory, right? You want to dig in more. And then I think it's delivered so cleanly that we're back to the basics or the fundamentals of what fitness actually means. And that is their theory. And so I just think it just, it holds together really nicely and... Um, honestly, I mean, it's one of the only fitness brands. I've talked about this before about how just disgusted I am with the category and the naming and like, why do you have to create a word every time? This is one that I see it. I know what it is. It doesn't even have to be the name. Mm-hmm. All of the elements hold together really well. And that in and of itself differentiates it for the category. Yeah, I think that's right on. That's right on. All right. So just to recap the essentials of a successful PR stunt. First, make sure it reflects your brand character. In order to get the best reaction from a stunt, it needs to reflect the true personality of the brand. Second, focus on conversion. Once you have attention, what are you going to do with it? This needs to be planned before the stunt and is usually fueled by a call to action. Third, make sure the stunt is intrinsically tied to the brand. Stunts are meant to make a statement. You need to make sure your statement is more than, whoa, that's cool. (laughs) This is especially the case if you want any brand recognition from the coverage. And finally, it needs to have drama. Stunts are expected to be over the top, which implies there needs to be some level of drama, which is generally fueled by anticipation, unexpectedness, surprise, admiration, cleverness, something that makes people feel something that compels them to share and engage with the brand according to the call to action and is more a firework than a disco ball. (laughs) All right. And with that. One more time. Yeah. For example. Yeah. Just got to put my metaphor in there again. And with that, we'll say go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.